All right, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of Friday, February 23rd from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And we have been having some truly frightening weather here in New York City recently. Fortunately, it cleared up today, but um, three days ago, that is to say Tuesday the 20th, the air was like kind of literally unbreathable. I mean, there was actually an official air quality alert that was issued. And um, I note with a sense of foreboding that this is the second summer in a row, but only the second summer of my life, that New York City's air is thick with haze, or has been thick with haze. And I mean like a Los Angeles or Mexico City type haze that you don't often get in New York City, or really you never used to get in New York City. And it's coming from the fires that are burning across the continent for a second year in a row. Last year, it was primarily the so-called Camp Fire in Northern California, although there were many others out in the Inter-Mountain West. Uh, this year, it's mostly the even bigger Bootleg Fire, which is straddling the border of California and Oregon. And uh, today, I was just treated to the uh, rather disturbing news that uh, by the time the smoke gets here to New York across 3,000 miles of North America, it's a week old, and it's become more toxic. <laughs> Gee, great! But actually, I'm kind of glad that I'm living here in the Northeast, which has got a relatively stable climate and plenty of water, which means that it's going to be one of the last areas of North America to be affected by climate change in a really devastating way. Now, we've had some really bad hurricanes here recently, which I'll have more to say about later. But even Hurricane Sandy, back in 2012, so-called Superstorm Sandy, didn't quite pack the uh, apocalyptic punch of what we're uh, witnessing out on the West Coast now. I'm just going to uh, read from some of today's headlines. Get a load of this one from the New York Times. How bad is the bootleg fire? It's generating its own weather. Unpredictable winds, fire clouds that spawn lightning, and flames that leap over fire breaks are confounding efforts to fight the blaze, which is sweeping through southern Oregon. Did you catch that? Fire clouds that spawn lightning? It's like something out of science fiction. A CNN headline cheerfully states, without enough water to go around, farmers in California are exhausting aquifers. Talk about borrowing from the future. And I'll just note that uh, a friend of mine out there just uh, sent me a photo that he took going down Interstate 5 of Mount Shasta, and it was completely bare. No snowpack at all. And anybody who has spent any time in Northern California knows what that forebodes. No snowmelt runoff, or greatly reduced snowmelt runoff, next spring, foreboding yet more drought conditions and depletion of aquifers, 
This is from today's All Things Considered. Thieves in California are stealing scarce water amid extreme drought, devastating some communities. A black market trade in water is emerging from people, you know, pirating fire hydrants and whatnot. Drought conditions sheer across the West now. This from the Colorado Sun. Three Colorado River Basin reservoirs will be partially drained to keep Lake Powell behind the Glen Canyon Dam continuing to produce hydropower. Drought made an expected 2.5 million acre-feet of water disappear before it ever reached the key reservoir in the Colorado River Compact, forcing federal officials to siphon from Blue Mesa Reservoir and other big pools to protect the electric grid, which almost certainly portends, you know, more fighting over water, more bickering and litigation between California, Arizona, and the other member states of the Colorado River Compact. And if you pull back for a global perspective, it certainly is not just North America. There are forest fires sweeping across Siberia at this moment, particularly affected is the Krasnoyarsk region. Just a couple of days ago, we saw devastating flooding in Central Europe, particularly Germany. And today, this grim scenario is repeating itself in China, especially Henan province. And I'm just going to uh, <clears throat> briefly touch on two places that I blogged about this week. I'm going to read two brief accounts that I wrote for my uh, website, countervortex.org. First, from Iran, protests over water rights in Awazi region. Several have been killed since July 16th as Iranian security forces opened fire on Awazi Arab protesters in Avaz, capital of southwestern Khuzestan province. The deaths came after days of demonstrations in the Arab-majority region, which is now stricken by withering drought. Hundreds of sheep, cattle, buffalo, and other livestock have died in the region over the past weeks. The protest began a week ago, with a peaceful vigil outside the governor's office, demanding that authorities open the sluice gates on the network of massive hydroelectric dams built upstream of the region's main rivers, which divert some 90% of the waters to other regions of Iran. Protesters held up placards in Arabic, Persian, and English, with messages including, Water is a human right. We are thirsty. Give us water. Stop killing our environment. And stop drying out the Awazi rivers and marshlands. The protesters also chanted slogans condemning Iran's central government, such as, The regime stole our rights and wealth, and the regime keeps us in poverty in the name of religion. Small protests were also held at government offices in several rural villages across the region. That appeared on uh, my website, Counter Vortex, on July 21st. I also want to note that um, this same region, the Awazi region of Iran, inhabited by the uh, Arab minority, minority within Iran, but a majority within the region, also saw back in uh, February of 2017 a kind of uh, 
an eco-intifada, an, an ecological uprising over um, the diversion of the region's waters. And that, that was also happening at a time when uh, paralyzing dust storms, a result of aridification and general ecological decline in the region, were choking the capital of Oz and making the air literally unbreathable. I saw photos, in fact, they're on my website, of people uh, literally walking around the streets in Kuzestan with gas masks on. It was that bad. So, uh, you know, I look at, uh, you know, uprising and repression over ecological degradation and fights for control of water happening in Iran, and I look at what's happening in the American West, and I just wonder, you know, how far is North America from this kind of dystopian situation? And one more thing to say in regard to Iran and the situation in the Awazi region is I'm just going to add to some of my um, knee-jerk and unthinking campist friends, as the uh, term goes, who won't criticize any government that the U.S. opposes. If you cut slack for the criminal regime of the Islamic Republic on so-called anti-imperialist grounds, you are complicit with rights abuses, ecocide, and cultural extermination. Okay, this appeared on my website today, July 23rd. Angola. Drought threatens traditional pastoralists. Millions of people in southern Angola are facing an existential threat as drought continues to ravage the region, Amnesty International said in a report. The organization highlighted how the creation of commercial cattle ranches on community lands has driven pastoralist communities from their territories since the end of the Civil War in 2002. The shift has left huge sections of the population food insecure and especially vulnerable as the acute drought persists for over three years. As food and water grow increasingly scarce, thousands have left their homes and sought refuge in neighboring Namibia. So there's a little international crisis brewing here between Angola and Namibia driven both by the terrible drought across the entire region of Southern Africa and also exacerbated by the um, land grabbing which has been going on in Angola in which the traditional pastoralist peoples have been, you know, expropriated of their grazing lands and forced into small and inadequate plots which are insufficient to sustain them. And it seems to be mostly the Mumwila indigenous people who have been impacted here. So again, just a couple of things to say in this regard. Or one, I'm just going to be uh, my cynical self once again and have uh, <clears throat> another admonition for my comrades on the left uh, and point out that um, the same Angolan regime that Black Lives Matter praised Cuba for backing is expropriating indigenous black African peoples of their traditional lands. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, I really want to um, applaud Amnesty International for bringing this situation to our attention. The account that I uh, wrote up is largely 
condensed from uh, their new report on the situation. And I'm glad that Amnesty is finally beginning to make the critical connection here, that human rights are ecological rights, both in the sense that the right to air and water, clean air and clean water, are human rights. And especially in the case of indigenous peoples, such as the Mumwila, the right to sufficient and undegraded lands is also a human right. And also that the more traditionally defined human rights, the right to be free of torture and arbitrary detention, etc., are relevant in situations of unrest. And in many places around the world, unrest is increasingly being driven by climate change. So I say solidarity with the Awazi of Iran and the Mumwila of Angola, and that any effective response to the global climate crisis is going to necessarily entail a defense of indigenous peoples and their territorial rights. All right, I just have um, two more things to say before I wrap up this rant. And one is that I, on one hand, you know, I'm glad that media commentators are raising, you know, the question of climate change in relation to these grim headlines. Although what's happening in Khuzestan and southern Angola is not even making headlines but what happened in Germany and Henan and what's happening now in California and Oregon is making headlines. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that uh, climate change is being brought up as a factor in relation to these terrifying developments. But I really do get tired of the hedging. And every time the question of climate change is brought up, you know, the admonishment that we get from media commentators and the so-called experts that you can't prove that any particular weather event is, quote-unquote, caused by climate change. And even the phrase related to climate change, quote-unquote, is also problematic. Because when shit like this is happening all around the world, when you've got the bootleg fire and the Krasnoyarsk fire in Russia... And you've got the devastating flooding in Germany and Henan. And you've got a third year of drought in southern Africa. And you've literally got violence breaking out over disappearing water resources in Iran. This is climate change. This is not related to climate change. This is not caused by climate change. This is climate change. This is the phenomenon itself, you damn fools. And this is, you know, something I've been harping on at least since 2012, when Hurricane Sandy hit New York City. Superstorm Sandy, as it was called, hit New York City. And my neighborhood, the Lower East Side, was flooded. And there was very serious property damage all over the city. And several people lost their lives around the metropolitan area. And this was happening at the same time that, once again, there was uh, drought conditions across much of the West, in contrast to, you know, New York City being flooded back in the autumn of 2012. And I blogged at the time, I'm going to quote from my own website here, what I wrote back in the fall of 2012 after so-called Frankenstorm Sandy. 
We are constantly being admonished that no single weather event can be attributable to climate change. But when taken together, the superstorms, this summer's crippling droughts in the Midwest, the disappearing Andean glaciers, receding Arctic sea ice cover, the Alaskan villages disappearing beneath the waves, whether these are attributable to climate change becomes a dramatically wrong question. Together, these phenomena are climate change. Asking if they are attributable to climate change is a classic example of missing the forest for the trees. This may be termed the reverse reification fallacy. If the reification fallacy is treating an abstraction as something concrete, these ultra-cautious quasi-denialists treat things as glaringly concrete as the withered corn crop or the flooded Lower East Side as if they were mere abstractions. So busy covering their tracks about the cause of the phenomenon, they can't see the phenomenon itself. So I blogged after um, Superstorm Sandy way back in 2012, and I can't believe we're still having this discussion. And, you know, I mean, the analogy which is occurring to me now, it's like, you know, if I went to a doctor and said, hey, doc, you know, I'm so worried about climate change that I can't sleep at night. And he responded, well, you can't sleep. Hmm. Well, you know, this might be caused by insomnia, but we can't be sure. Let's not jump to any conclusions. And, uh, you know, the final thing I want to say is that what's particularly surreal about all of this is that just a year ago, we were emerging from the pandemic-induced paralysis of the world economy. And, you know, we all remember the pictures about, uh, you know, how the uh, air quality improved all over the world. The Himalayas, which are usually invisible to the inhabitants of northern India because of endemic haze and smog, became visible again, as they had been for millennia from northern India before the Industrial Revolution. The price of oil actually went negative. There was so little demand for it. It actually cost more to produce it and ship it to market than they could get for it in retail sales. And now, here we are, a year and change later, and the price of oil is rising again. After having been depressed for years, it's actually going up now. And here in New York City, you know, it's uh, very strange. I look at, you know, the, the headlines of um, what's going on with COVID-19 in India and Colombia and Brazil, and even in many states here in the U.S., and it's still a very grim picture, but it's utterly contrasted by the situation here in New York City, where, you know, people are taking off their masks, filling the restaurants and bars, and where traffic, vehicular traffic in the streets, is right back up to its dystopian pre-pandemic levels. So, uh, you know, it really pains me that um, we have squandered the opportunity of the COVID-19 crisis. Because amid all of the horror of the pandemic, it also presented us with the opportunity to raise a forceful demand to seize the moment with a crash conversion from fossil fuels.
on a global level. And it seems to be utterly squandered. And all around us, we are returning once again to the dystopian pre-pandemic normality or in the irritatingly ubiquitous neologism, normalcy, so annoying that everybody, even in the media and politicians and everybody, is saying normalcy, which is not a word. The word is normality, which um, just recalls to mind the uh, Tom Waits quote, the world is a hellish place and bad writing is destroying the quality of our suffering. Okay, this has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything that I've been ranting about is documented and hyperlinked. Support us on Patreon. We're stuck at 25 uh, Patreon subscribers. Why don't you, dear listener, become number 26? Join us once a week here on the Counter Vortex podcast and daily on the Counter Vortex blog. Join the resistance, join the Counter Vortex, and rant on you next time.